This morning we continue our work through the Gospel of Luke. We're in chapter 14. You can find the passage printed in your bulletin. You could also follow along in your own Bible. While you're looking for it, if you'd please stand. As a reminder, if you need a place for you and your children, the kids' gym is open. You can hear the sermon in there. There's a special needs area outside that should be quieter while you listen to the sermon. Nursery at the end of the hall, and we're working on a live stream. We hope to have next week in the room just down the hall as well, so you could overflow in there if you need it. The passage is Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 14. It goes, uh, beginning in verse 15, goes through verse 24. This is the word of the Lord. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there's room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, the hedges, and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Would you please be seated, and would you join me in a word of prayer? Father in heaven, we thank you for your word and we thank you for these parables of Christ. We know that the parables provide for us the infinite depth of beauty and intrigue. We thank you that parables are designed to show us more of you, but they are also designed as a stumbling block for those who are apart from you. So we ask, Lord God, that you would use this to deepen our understanding of you. We ask, Lord God, that you would use this, that sinners, wayward sinners, would stumble upon this and be, would, would be perplexed, would be astounded by the nature of the kingdom, and that your Spirit would use it to draw men and women unto yourself. We ask this for your glory, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's a lot of different things that I find amusing about the modern wedding process of of getting married. But one of the most amusing to me is the process that uh, anyone who's ever been married has experienced something like this, the process of inviting people to your wedding, okay, the invitation process. It goes something like this, and you've probably seen or experienced this in some form or fashion. You begin with the A-list, okay? The A-list is the people that you want to have at your wedding. You love these people. You love spending time with them. It just makes sense. You want them at your wedding. The second list is the B-list, okay? Now, the B-list is when the A-listers can't make it. They send in their invitation. They say they won't be there. We go to the B-list. 
these people, we could take them or leave them, but uh, we'd be glad if they would come to the wedding. There's other lists, of course. There's the list of people that your parents or your family want to have at the wedding, right? And they say to you something like, well, listen, we went to school with this person 30 years ago. They're really important to us. And, and, and you're probably thinking, well, I, I don't know who they are. Well, why should I have them at my wedding, okay? But there's a list of people like that. You know it. For some people, there's also the list of people you invite to the wedding who you say, you know what, we're going to invite them because they won't come, but they'll send a present. Right? That's a good list of people. You chuckle because you know, you know, you've done it. Maybe you haven't, all right? Now, here's the flip side, right? The, the reverse is also true. If you're about to get married or if you've just recently gotten married, um, don't flatter yourself because the people receiving the invitations are going through the same process, right? They get the invitation and they say something like, well, we love them. Of course, we're going to be there. That makes sense. Or they'll say, I didn't realize we were that important to them or we had that good of a relationship, uh, you think we should go? Will it be awkward if we go? Were they expecting us to respond and say yes? Okay? Or are they going to seat us at that table in the corner with the people who are like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm the neighbor's neighbor. I kind of know them through a long distance, you know, connection. Okay? The, the table of people who on their outskirts of the invitation. Okay? There's a lot of that process that goes on when you get invited to a wedding. Did they think I was one of the ones who were just going to say, we won't be there, but we'll send a gift, right? Everybody goes through that process when you're invited to a wedding. You ask the same sort of questions. That confusion between expectation and obligation and cultural uh, uh, expectations, that confusion is the confusion that's happening in Luke chapter 14 when we look at the great banquet, okay, this great feast that's described here. As we begin looking at this passage, I'll remind you that the context is very simple. Two weeks ago, we looked at the beginning of Luke 14. Jesus is at the dinner with the Pharisee on the Sabbath, and in the midst of his dinner, he heals a man who has dropsy. And I imagine that that event began to change the whole context of the dinner. But the rest of chapter 14 is a conversation that appears to happen over this meal and as this meal is going on, this man says in verse 15, he says, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And this was a, uh, an expression that was often uttered over the dinner table, to which most of the people around the table would have said, Yeah, yeah, cheer, cheer, uh, hear, hear, or cheers, or something like that, okay? It was a common expression, and Jesus uses it to again begin a conversation about the kingdom of God. Whereas we've seen parables about the urgency of the kingdom or the subtlety of the kingdom, the parable this morning will deal with the who of the kingdom. Who, who will be in the kingdom? Who will sit at the great feast, the, the marriage supper of the Lamb? Who will be joined with God in glory? Okay, that's what Christ deals with in this parable. And this morning, we just have three points. There they're in the insert in your bulletin, and they're chronological. We're going to go through the whole passage. We won't miss a verse. And all along the way, you'll see what Christ is doing as He shares this parable with those who are around Him. Okay? The first point is very simple. We think about the nature of the kingdom. First thing that Christ shows us is that the kingdom is inclusive. It is an inclusive kingdom. And let me show you why that's the case. Jesus begins and he says, a man once gave a great banquet and he invited many. 
This is the invitation to the banquet. Now, let me tell you a few things about this verse. First of all, the word here that's translated as great banquet, it is a Greek compound word, and the word that's used is the Greek word megas, okay, mega. It is a mega feast. That's literally what it says in the Greek, a mega feast. And let me tell you, it would have had very little understanding with the audience who heard it, at least from their experience. They, they would have not experienced something like Christ was describing, okay? This mega feast, mega banquet they were unaccustomed with, okay? It was just greater than anything they had ever witnessed or taken part of. It would be like this. Someone comes up to you and they, says, li- they say to you, listen, I would like to send you and your family all-expense vacation to an all-inclusive resort. And you say, well, that's great. I've been to all-inclusive resorts before. That sounds wonderful. And they say, no, no, you, you don't get what I'm saying. This is not just any all-inclusive resort. This is like the most amazing all-inclusive resort in the world. People from Hollywood go there. There are famous people there. You can't get in with just ordinary people. This is significant, okay? That's similar to what Jesus is describing here, a mega feast, a mega banquet. And as he introduces this invitation to the mega banquet, he says to his audience that the master of the house invited many, okay? And I want to tell you, as we begin looking at this parable, that's where we we do see or we begin to see the inclusive nature of the kingdom, okay? In this parable, the invitation is extended to many. You could assume all who were in the area who would hear the proclamation of the invitation, that the master would send out his servant to the streets and the lanes in the city and say, oh, can hear this message, you are invited to the mega feast, to the mega dinner, and the invitation is broadly extended to all of them. Let me tell you, this was, um, this was definitely something that was culturally appropriate. If you were inviting your neighborhood to a banquet, you would have sent a messenger out into the streets to proclaim the invitation. That's the way of basically saying to the people, save the date, okay? Mark it on your calendar. You've experienced this. If you've been invited to a wedding, sometimes you'll get the save the date, right? You stick it on your refrigerator, and that's because... If the people who are inviting you really want you to be there, they're saying, listen, mark this off on your calendar. Don't forget, this is the day we want you to be there, okay? What the parable is introducing here is very simple, and in the same sort of way we could consider this, okay? The master of the house is always the picture of God the Father. The banquet that is being offered is the picture of the the kingdom of God where those who are invited to the kingdom and who come by faith will sit at the great feast. And what we begin to see at the beginning of this parable is that God is depicting or Christ is depicting to his audience the way that throughout all of history, God had been sending to his people, save the date magnet, okay? Save the date, right? The prophets, save the date. The Messiah's coming through the law, save the date. The Messiah's coming through the kings, through the sacrifices, through the priests, Through all of the Old Testament images, God had been saying to his people, stick this magnet on your refrigerator, the Messiah is coming, and they were to save the date. Now, if that's the depiction of the beginning of this parable, then verse 17 makes a lot of sense because in verse 17 it says, at that time, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. That line to me, 
is a single sentence that speaks about the whole nature of the New Testament Gospels. The Gospels are the moment in history where God says to His people, come, for everything is now ready. The fullness of time has now come, and God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin. Okay? In these last days, He has spoken to us through His Son. And this is the moment that Christ depicts in His parable. Come, for everything is now ready. And you see how this parable speaks of the inclusive nature then of the gospel, of the kingdom of God. God has said to the world, save the date, my son is coming. When his son arrives, he declares to all who have ears to hear, the fullness of time has come. I have sent forth my son. He is the propitiation for for sin, and now you receive him. It is exactly what's being depicted of here. Now, let me tell you, as we move to the second point, there's just one question then. If that's the beginning of this parable, the only question that remains is, why would anyone say no to being part of that? Why would anyone turn down an invitation to a mega feast? Why would we ever say no to somebody who's like, I want to send you to an all-inclusive resort? That sounds amazing, okay? What we'll see as the parable moves on is that the the people who are invited to the mega feast, they are totally confused about the nature of the invitation. They're, they're totally confused about the nature of the invitation. And we're going to see a depiction now of the cloudiness of the heart, okay? Because of sin, the cloud that comes over the heart that allows us not to perceive the nature of the invitation of God. Okay, here's the second point. It's on your handout. It is the barriers that are the barriers to free grace, and it begins in verse 18. Let me read. Verse 18 says, but they all alike began to make excuses. And the actual literal wooden translation of the Greek says that they all with one voice, they all in unison began to make excuses. It gives you the idea that they're all there and they're all talking over each other, just trying to Uh, make the best excuse for not going to the great banquet. I mean, it seems almost absurd. And when you read this, you're meant to say, okay, that's a little bit silly, okay? We've got a few interesting examples, right? I've just purchased a field, and I've got to go check it out. You know, I've, I've got to go look at the field that I bought, all right? And then the second person says, well, I've just purchased five ox, and I, I need to go try them out. I want to give them a ride. Okay, so I can't make the great feast. I'm sorry. The third person says, I've just gotten married. Sorry, I can't make the great feast. And for me, that's the, the silliest one, okay? Because if you just got married and your new wife is at home, I'm pretty sure she'd be impressed with the mega feast, okay? That seems like a really great thing to do with your newly married wife. Go to the mega feast. Go to the all-inclusive resort. Just fits, okay? The excuses are absurd. We are meant to see that they're absurd. I, I think the original audience would have said, okay, wh- why? What's going on? Why, why would they make these excuses, okay? The key to understanding the why they make the excuses is, this is really uh, great. I love this. It's just right before this passage, okay? If you go back before this parable and you read this in verse 12, Jesus is sitting at, at the dinner and he says to the Pharisees, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives 
or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid, okay? You see what Jesus is talking about, right? He's speaking about the, listen, don't invite the rich people because you think, oh, they're going to invite me to their house and we're going to have a great dinner and I'm going to get really good food. That's not what you ought to be thinking, but it raises an important cultural expectation that was true in Israel, and I know it the case to be true even today in many cultures. If someone does something nice for you, you do something nice in return. If someone invites you over to their house for dinner, you invite them over to your house for dinner, all right? And it's, sometimes it's not just like they do a nice thing, I do a nice thing, but it's like they do a nice thing, and you better do a nice thing that is equal or greater value to the nice thing they just did for you, right? You've experienced that, haven't you? Okay. Um, it's born out of a desire to show hospitality, right? They're hospitable. We'll be hospitable. They'll be hospitable. But it quickly became a millstone around the neck of people who wanted to be hospitable. Oh, we've got to tire ourselves out again. They did nice things for us. We're going to do nice things for them, and then they're going to do nice things for us. And we're back and forth and back and forth, okay? I think that provides context to understand why the people who were invited at the beginning of this parable offer these lame excuses, okay? I think it provides us this context. The master of the house comes and says, we're throwing this great banquet, and you're invited. And the people who receive the invitation are saying, wait, wait a second. We can't reciprocate. Great banquet, a mega feast. I've never even seen such a thing. How are we going to do in like kind for them, right? And maybe we're going to have to sell all of our possessions and have this great feast. Or maybe we're going to have to have them over like 10 times in a row just so our 10 small dinners can equal the one great feast that they threw for us. Something like that is going through their mind. And they come to the master and they begin just offering these lame excuses, okay? Sorry, we can't make it. Got to go try out the ox that we just purchased. Want to give him a ride, you know? Whatever the case may be, they offer these excuses. And I think one of the questions that it begs for us, especially for those who are not in Christ, who haven't come by faith, the question is, what prevents you from coming? Okay? It's a very simple question. What prevents you from coming to the great banquet? What prevents you from coming to the kingdom of God? What prevents you from coming by faith to Christ Jesus? I would suggest to you this morning, if we're following the train of thought in this parable, that we have all the lame excuses we can offer, and sometimes they are pretty lame, right? Sometimes in comparison to the magnitude of eternity, the, uh, I'm too busy right now for God, or the, I've got lots of projects to do at work, or the, uh, you know, I've, I really want to focus on my family first. The excuses that we may offer, they pale in comparison to the nature of eternity, yet those really aren't the reasons why we fail to come to Christ Jesus in faith. As it was for the men in this parable, so it is for us. It is a cost-benefit analysis, right? A cost-benefit analysis. Does the cost outweigh the benefit? And if we haven't yet come in faith to Christ Jesus, we're looking at Christ and we're not seeing the true benefit, okay? We're not seeing the true benefit and we're seeing what it'll cost us and we're saying, well, that's just too much for what it, what it gets for me, Okay? That, you know, the, the expense for me, the energy it's going to take, the persecution that I might face, the requirement of being in church like every Sunday, okay, the um, expectation of being part of a church family, all of that is too costly for what I will get from Christ, okay? 
cost-benefit analysis. Now, I tell you the truth. The problem in the parable, the problem as if we reject the offer of the gospel, the problem is very simple. We don't understand the nature of free grace. We don't understand the nature of free grace. That's the problem with these men here. They expect that the master will have to be repaid, but the rest of the parable shows us something very, very different. Very, very different, okay? And so that's the last point that we see in this passage. These men refuse to go to the great banquet, and so who goes to the dinner? See, it's interesting the way it plays out. In verse 21, the servant comes and he reports these things to the master. No one is coming to the banquet. Okay, and so the master sends out the servant. And in verse 23, he says, go again and compel them to come, for my house must be filled. Right? The, des- the, the master desires to bless people who will come to his banquet. And he says, they have to be there. Someone must come to my banquet. They must be there that I might bless them. And so he sends out the servant again. And if you look at this parable and you ask the question, okay, who will be there? We actually begin to see the exclusive nature of the kingdom of God. Whereas God makes an offer broadly to humanity, save the date, my son is coming, he has now come, he offers free grace. The kingdom is exclusive and it is only offered and accepted by an exclusive group of people. Okay, they're right here. And let me tell you a few characteristics of them. First of all, they are brought by the servant. The servant goes out and he brings them in. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. But look at some of the other characteristics of them in verse 21. Uh, the, the master of the house became angry. He said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. Okay, it's like the fab four. This is the four categories of people that you did not want to be during this time period, okay? Because it was a very hard life. As a matter of fact, you would likely die early if this was you. One of these four things were true of you. You were going to live a miserable life, and there would be very little hope for longevity for you, okay? But not only that, the master says, okay, the house isn't full yet with the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. He sends the servant out again, and he says, go to the highways and the hedges. And all the commentators talk about how this was, a, this was a phrase that meant go out into the countryside, okay? Not the streets and the lanes that are in the city, but go out to the highways and the hedges, okay? Go out to the rural places where the country folk will live in, go find them and compel them to come into the kingdom. Now, that would have been uh, very controversial in Jesus' day. These are not the religious people. These are not those who are here at the temple in Jerusalem, uh, they're the ones who have been kind of rejected by society, right? Now, the parable, as Jesus often does with parables, the parable is using physical categories to, dis- to depict spiritual categories, okay? Jesus says that the, who will be included in the kingdom of God, it's very simple. It is those who are poor in spirit. It is those who are crippled in spirit. It is those who are lame and blind in spirit. It is those who are the rejects of society in spirit. It is those who, what can be said of them spiritually is that they're in despair and desperation. They're helpless. They have no answers for themselves. They have no hope apart from some intervention, okay? This is the 
kingdom of God, and it's the picture of who will be included that Jesus begins to paint in this parable as he exhorts them and tells them of the nature of those who will be included in the kingdom of God, those who will be at the banquet table. Now, let me tell you just as the final thing here, okay? You may say, that's great. I love the parable. What does that mean for me? Let me tell you a few things that means for you very quickly, very briefly, okay? First thing that means for you, if you're at the banquet table, it means you didn't get there by your own efforts, okay? We have to emphasize this, right? If you have a seat at the table, if you have by faith come to Christ Jesus and you're a member of the kingdom of God, it is only because you were poor, crippled, lame, and blind and the servant of God came to retrieve you, all right? I tell that to you because I tell you the truth, the longer we sit at the table, the easier it is to think something else, okay? The easier it is to think, man, I'm at this table because the master just loved to have dinner with me. He thinks I'm a good conversationalist and he loved to be in my presence, okay? And we sit at the table long enough and we begin to think, well, look at those poor fools on the outside. Can't figure out how to get to the banquet table. You know, how pitiful, how sorry they are, right? The passage ought to humble us. The end of the parable is who we are. If we're in Christ Jesus, we're the poor, the lame, the crippled, the beggars, the blind. We're the ones on the highways and the hedges, okay? We were rejected in despair and desperation. The servant came to get us. It's the first takeaway. The second takeaway is equally as simple. The nature of the invitation is very interesting to me. At the outset of this parable, there's a broad invitation and the people reject it. That's not the same way the second time around, okay? We read in verse 21, the master told the servant, go and bring them in. The word literally means carry them, okay? Carry them into the banquet hall. Bring them to the table. And then he says in verse 23, go and compel them, right? And the word compel is a softer, gentler version of force, okay? Go force them. Go force them to come to the banquet table, Go make them come to my feast. And this is beautiful because we know this to be the nature of God's saving work. Right? None of us stumbles upon it. Upon it. None, none of us were uh, brilliant enough uh, to realize that, well, this is the truth, and look at me, how intelligent I am. It is God who comes and He brings us by the power of His Spirit. He brings us to saving faith. He compels our heart. While we were yet sinners, Christ died. He sent His Spirit, and His Spirit convicted us, gave us the gift of faith and of repentance, and made us to see the truth of the gospel. For you who are in Christ, all that should tell you is, man, I have great assurance in my salvation. It is not something I've stumbled upon. It is something that God has caused me to move towards by the work of His Spirit in my life, okay? That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. All of you today will leave here and, and you will go back out into the world, okay? And you may go back out into the world today or Monday morning, just depending on how you view your going back out into the world. But all of you will go back out into the world and you will go back out into the midst of despair and desperation, of hatred, of sin, of brokenness, okay? Of emptiness and helplessness. You go back out into a world that is largely what Christ describes at the end of this parable. The blind, the lame, the crippled, the broken, those who are on the highways and the hedges, okay? 
And I want to encourage you with this. As you go back out into the world, you go back out into a place where half of the recipe already exists. And I think that's significant, okay? What's the recipe? For those who enter the kingdom of God, they have to be desperately needy. They must know their need of Him, and they must receive the free offer of the gospel through the power of the Spirit, okay? Half the recipe is already before you. You are going out into 300 different places tomorrow morning. Uh, teachers, you will go into the school and you will face children who are, who are facing despair, desperation, and hopelessness. You'll face children who are saying, well, it feels like the world is coming to an end, okay? Because they've heard it from their parents and they've heard it from the people around them, all right? If you are in the medical field, you will go and you will work among people who are experiencing helplessness and desperation and hopelessness, Okay? If you're a tradesman, you work with your hands. I know, I've done that before. That is largely an area where there's a lot of darkness, hopelessness. It feels like emptiness, okay? It's very simple. When we encounter that in the world, you know what we usually do? We say, whoa, keep it away from me. I don't want any of the despair to rub off on me, okay? I don't want any of the hopelessness. And, and if we don't do that, the other thing we do is we commiserate with the world. Like, oh, you're right, the, the world is coming to an end. It does feel like that, doesn't it? It's hopeless, isn't it? Right? The, but that's, that's not what we're called to. That's not the truth of the gospel. And I tell you the truth as we understand this parable. It's not what I'm exhorting you to. or not what Christ was exhorting his followers to. Half of the recipe is before you. Okay? You get to encounter this world every day. My encouragement to you is very simple. Faithfully proclaim the truth of the gospel faithfully proclaim the saving work of the servant of God, faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ and Him crucified, declare to a world that desperately needs hope, declare to them a message of hope. And then step back and wait for the Spirit of God to do His work. That's the encouragement I want to leave you with this morning. You all have a great opportunity. And the fields are white for the harvest. So go and proclaim the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He saves us, He loves us, and He gave Himself a ransom that we might be redeemed. Hallelujah. Would you join me in prayer? Father in heaven, we thank You that You are God and that you have ordained and ordered all the days of our life and all the days of history. You cause kingdoms and kings to rise and kingdoms and kings to fall. You cause, Lord, both great uh, produce and great productivity, and you cause times, you cause times of no produce. You cause times of harvest, of reaping the harvest, and you cause times of drought. Lord, we thank you that over all of history, you are God. We thank you that you have ordered these events. We thank you that you have placed us in this time and place, that you've called us out of the world, but you have also given us an audience with the world that we might declare your truth. So we ask, Lord God, that you would humble us as we understand 
that we sit at this table not because of how great we were, but because of how desperate we were. We thank you, Lord God, we sit at this table not because we have chosen to, but because your Son came and redeemed us and your Spirit um, came and affected this great change in our hearts. You gave us faith and repentance. And we ask, Lord God, that you would make that to translate in our lives as an outward-looking proclamation of the gospel of truth. That the desperate, helpless world around us would see hope in Jesus Christ and would turn and repent and be saved. We ask this, our Father, for your glory. And in Jesus Christ's name we pray.